Welcome back to the special weekend extra, a short short for the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast, continuing my conversation with Frank Reich. Again, one of my favorite podcasts of this year was the one that you just heard a few days ago. I hope if you tuned in, this podcast comes out normally Wednesdays at about 4 p.m. Eastern, and to be joined by somebody so accomplished in professionally and yet so foolish as an investor was a delight. So, I wanted to talk more football than I got to. Admittedly, this is not a football podcast, but this particular Weekend Extra is. Now, we didn't have a lot of time, so we won't be going very deep, but I did have a chance to ask Frank some of my favorite questions like, what do you do? What is the life of an NFL head coach? What about CTE and some other important things on my mind? Maybe yours too. I hope you enjoy this Weekend Extra with Frank Reich. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Frank, I, while I, you know, I'm a, I'm a baseball guy, and a lot of people say baseball is the nation's pastime. I think a lot of us also know that American football is the most popular sport. It is a huge business today. And in a lot of ways, while you're not the owner of the team, I think it's still the Ursay family in Indianapolis, and you're not the general manager, uh, you are the head coach. And so in a lot of ways... Um, you are kind of running the show. You're you're not the CEO, I guess, but you're you're like a really important VP. And I wanted to start by asking you, Frank, just briefly in two minutes or so, what is a life like you one week of the regular season? I've never known. Like, what does the head coach do Monday through Sunday? I realize just a little time, and there's no way to cover all of that. But talk us through a week of being an NFL head coach during the season. Yeah, during the season, you know, you're coming in on a Monday. You've just played a game on Sunday. So now it's let's evaluate the film. What can I do better as a coach? What can we as a coaching staff do, do better? Now let's critique everybody else. Let's critique the players. Um, you know, let's look at our what were our game plans? What were we able to accomplish? What, what, what didn't we accomplish that we thought we would be? Why didn't we? How can we improve that so that the next time that's in our game plan? And that's that's Monday. That's really breaking that down. And Tuesday, the players come in. Now we go over all that with them. We we recap all that stuff with them, make the corrections. Um, and then when they're not there as coaches, we're already studying ahead for the next team, um, while at the same time tying up loose ends from the week before. Those days usually start about 5 a.m. in the morning and end about 11 wow. or, and, and end at about 11 or 12 at night. Um, and then. You know, now it gets to Wednesday. Now the players are in. We got meetings all day. We're going to install the game plan. Then we're going to meet about it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to show film about it. Then we're going to go out and we're going to practice. Players are going to lift. Coaches, as while the players are lifting, coaches are going on to the next phase of the game. Okay, we did first and second down one day. Now the next day is third down. Then red zone, you know, the different segments of the game. So as, as we go, as a head coach goes, you're basically – we have different segments that you do game planning wise that you're kind of heading up. I'm mm -hmm. with the offensive staff because of my background. Um, but then in, in there is also you're doing your head coach duties as speaking to the team, cast a vision for the week, talk about the goals for the week. You have to do all your media obligations, um, you know, during the week. Um, and then as the week winds down, Friday is the one day that it's a little bit shorter of a day. That's the one day we get to go home and have dinner with our families. Saturday, um, if you're traveling, you're on the plane to the next game. Sunday's the game. If it's a home game, you usually have family coming in. Short practice on Saturday morning, couple hours with the family in the afternoon. 
mm. team hotel Saturday night, getting ready for the game. And then walking down that tunnel, David, I, again, I know not everybody's a football fan, but for those of us who love football, you know, walking, walking down that tunnel on a Sunday and out on that field is a special, is a special moment. And it's, it's fun to everything you've been working on the whole week. Let's now go put it on display. And how exciting that once again, the stadiums, I hope, will be mostly full of vaccinated, healthy human beings here in the United States of America as things touch off this fall. I wanted to ask you briefly about films and analytics, Frank. One of the things that I've always loved is, well, Moneyball. I'm a big Bill James fan, what he did for baseball. A lot of people know that. Um, Pete Palmer was an author who spent a lot of time looking at the NFL. This is a few decades ago, sort of the same time Bill James was looking at at a baseball and Palmer came up with a few interesting conclusions. We don't have time to talk about all of them today, but one of the ones he said is anytime you're basically on the three yard line or inside, you should always go for the touchdown. Even if you screw up, they're going to have the ball at the one or two themselves. You'll they'll punt back to you. You'll be, be able to score again. I see you nodding your head here. Sounds like that's generally your orientation as well. Yeah. I generally am a little bit of a risk taker when it comes to that so, sometimes to the chagrin of some of our fans and, <laughs> and even, and even Mr. Ursay every now and then, but um, no, I, I try to be balanced. I think the analytics David is here to stay. And, um, but here's, here's what we try to do. Here's what I try to do as a head coach. I'm not going to be a robot. I'm not just going to go according to the chart. You know what? Because I've experienced that. I don't think that's, you know, I, I know in theory, you should just go with the chart. It'll all work out in the end. But the problem is it's not that easy, or at least in my mind, it's not. So I'm going to combine using the scientific data, using all the crunching, all the numbers and all the analytics. I'm going to combine that with a gut feeling, understanding the flow of the game, being able to look in the eyes of the guy, of the players. Where's everybody at mentally? I may be into it, but do I feel like we're all, we're, is everybody there? So it's finding that balance and there's no one set formula. You just got to make that, you got to make, I think you got to go into every decision like it's its own unique decision. You know, don't try to yep. be living on the past one. You got to go in with the fresh mindset for each one. Love it. You know, another thing Palmer said, and this will especially speak to you in your heart and your background, he, he, he convinced me as a, a young reader that the statistics of backup quarterbacks, if you aggregate them for a season, they're not very different from the statistics of the starting quarterbacks. A lot of us have this sense, and I think it's always wrongheaded, that, oh my gosh, it's a disaster. We've lost our starting quarterback. Does the guy who's coming in, does he even know how to play the game or complete a pass? Uh, this might especially be true in college football versus the NFL, but it's it's really misguided. As it turns out, I think a lot of studies will show that backup quarterback backs perform about the same as the starting quarterback, despite the difference in salaries. Do you want to say anything to that? I've not seen that. Of course, being a lifetime backup quarterback, that makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> of course, uh, I used to always make that argument, uh, but that is because it's not a one-man show. But I, I do think, I don't know about that. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see those hardcore numbers. I, I, I think there are some guys like a Patrick Mahomes and, the, you know, the Tom Brady's of the world who, um, yeah, I, I think they're special players. Yeah. And there are special talents, no question about it. This is more aggregating across the league yeah. where not everybody necessarily is. Or sometimes the, the backup might actually be better, we discover, you know, as, as he takes over a young guy and all of a sudden he, he – 
puts up better numbers. Yeah, Steve Young, I, Joe Montana. And I find, David, that, and maybe you find this in investing in a business as well, that some leaders are like some leaders are better in certain environments, right? And so there's sometimes a backup quarterback can come in and he's your guy in this situation, but he may not be your guy in situation B where the starter has mm. proven to himself over the time that he's more, he's better apt to handle all situations, generally speaking at a higher level than the backup. Mm. Two final quick questions again. Thank you for joining us on the special weekend extra, Frank. Um, offensive linemen, I feel like they're the forgotten players uh, in the NFL or in football writ large because the defensive linemen have a chance to sack people and pick stuff off. But the offensive linemen, they just kind of proceed forward and muddle through, it looks like. But I think they're so valuable. I know you do, too. Do you have good statistics? Are there analytics that you use that I, as an offensive tackle, get to see exactly how I did every play with numbers? Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, you know, we grade, you know, we grade out uh, every position. Um, there's certain criteria for every position. Um, so you'll get a technique grade. You'll get an assignment grade. Um, there will be how many critical mistakes, how many big plays. There's a scoring scale that's been refined over the years for every position and every play. Excellent. And that's important, right? We need that accountability. We, we want to be told. I, my experience is with the really good players, they want you to. They want to be made better. They want you to tell mm. them the truth about what needs to be improved. So, um, an offensive line play is so critical. I think for the success of any NFL team. Sure, there's some freak. Uh, there's some freak quarterbacks that can get out of anything. But in the long haul, <laughs> like we even saw as great as Patrick Mahomes is, you know, what happens when the offensive line suffers? And um, it's hard to win consistently when you're not good up front. Thank you for putting in a good word for the offensive linemen. I feel like they're the guys that we don't fully appreciate. Um, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, the last question I want to ask you. Obviously, this is a concern for a lot of people in football. I know Andrew Luck, your former quarterback, kind of left the game early, I think, worried about that. What is your 2021 Frank Reich take on CTE? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's real. I mean, I think it's real. I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, they're not just, a, and I don't know what they are. Um, so I think the league has done a great job. I think the players have done a great job of continually making the game safer, um, officiating it to be safer, um, the equipment safer, coaching it safer. Um, and to the point where I think that, there's a fair amount of risk in a lot of, th you, you could be a factory worker. Uh, my dad worked in a steel mill for a while before being a teacher. Uh, my uncle, I mean, my grandfather was in a steel factory for years. I, I think probably some of the risks that factory workers take are probably greater than some of the risks that football play, firefighters, policemen, those are all inherent risks. Um, that sometimes an individual is willing to take. And so I think it's an individual decision. Um, that as a football player, you go in and you say, is there some level of risk of CTE? Yes. Do I, and I'm going to make it a point to understand as much as I can within reason. Um, most guys, like I'm sure most police officers, most, most uh, firefighters will tell you, 
I feel called to do this. This is I, I'm willing to live with this amount of risk that this could happen. I don't think it's going to happen. If I really thought that it was an absolute that this is going to whatever that small percentage is, I'm willing to live with that risk. All right. Well, Frank actually spent five extra minutes. He was late, probably needing to dial his assistant coaches. It was my fault. I want to thank him for going over with me, spending extra time with you. So thanks again to Frank. And we'll look forward. Uh, You better believe I'm an Indianapolis Colts fan right now, football fans. So I'm a big Colts fan this season, maybe future seasons as well. Perhaps you're a little bit more of a Colts fan too. All right, a reminder, Olin Douglas, the head of Motley Fool Ventures, our venture capital fund, which raised $150 million from you, our members, a few years ago. Olin has learned a lot about where he's deployed the money and seeing some of our early wins and a few losses too. a great opportunity to listen to somebody who made an important career transition, which unlocked the possibility of venture capital from the Motley Fool. So really delighted to be joined by Olin Douglas this coming Wednesday. Final reminder, if you'd like to ask a question about venture capital, just tag at RBI Podcast on Twitter. We'll take a look. The best questions I will ask Olin. In the meantime, have a great rest of your weekend. Fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com. 